Hi, I'm Jess, co-host of the Elder Tree podcast and herbalist at Evans Head Naturopathy. You're listening to the Self-Care with Herbs segment, where each month I invite a new guest to chat about how weaving plants into their days enriches their experience of self-care, exploring routines, rituals and recipes for elevating mind, body and spirit. that health is built in the small things and self-care is those small things and the way we kind of action them in our life. It's a way of showing respect and love towards ourselves. But I think underneath all of that, and it, we kind of touched on it earlier, it is just this relation, this daily relationship with ourself. And it's a way of listening and attuning to how our bodies are every day because they're different every single day. And the way we care for ourselves kind of needs to be different as well. That was Kat Green from Everyday Empowered talking about how dynamic, seasonal and ever-changing our practice of self-care can be when we tune into ourselves regularly. Kat's a folk herbalist and grassroots community herbal organiser and educator. She's passionate about making it easy and normal for people to make simple, effective herbal remedies at home. Through Everyday Empowered, she offers a wide range of practical ways for people to learn about herbs. Kat's journey down the plant path began during recovery from an extended illness. After seeking the guidance of a naturopath, she began to delve deeper, reading all the books and going down rabbit holes, which left her wondering... Why are there 20 herbs recommended for this one condition? How do I know which one to choose? These questions continue to inform her relationship with herbs today. During her recovery, Kat came to realise that she was responsible for her own health and the only one living in her own body every day. That having a toolkit of herbs and other supportive practices is wonderful, but it's tuning into what our bodies need every day that helps shape how we care for ourselves. I love Kat's seasonal approach and how her herbal practice shifts and changes as she listens into what her body needs as the world around her changes. We chat about moving from immune supportive herbs like Astragalus through winter to more nutritive and liver-supportive herbs like nettle, red clover and bitter salad greens as we move into spring. During our chat, we talk about building habits, even boring ones like flossing our teeth, and how starting small and celebrating the tiniest wins can be really helpful at strengthening our neural pathways. One of Kat's passions is home herbalism and we chat a lot about how getting to know ourselves and our own health issues and becoming familiar with herbs is a way of reclaiming some of the power that has been lost. By relearning some of these skills, we can regain confidence in home health care traditions. Kat shares how in her early days of delving into herbalism, she often found the sheer volume of information available overwhelming when all she really wanted was the best remedy for nappy rash. This experience underlies her passion of making home herbalism as accessible as possible for everybody. So grab a cup of your favourite herbal tea, find a comfy nook in the sun and settle in to this inspiring and nourishing episode. Hi Kat and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks Jess, I'm so excited to talk to you. 
Yeah, we're going to have a really juicy conversation. And the way that I always like to start out with guests is getting an idea of how your relationship with plant medicine began. It's nice to kind of take a step back and really look back at where that spark first originated. Well, um, uh, like many herbalists, my kind of relationship definitely started when I got really ill. And in the interview I did with Twiggy, which you can go back and listen on that herbal education segment, I shared a lot of that story about how I got sick overseas and had typhoid and dysentery and was in and out of hospital for about three months. Um, and that didn't really spark, like that was kind of, I guess, the impetus. But when I got home, it was really in the recovery stage and afterwards that I started developing that relationship with the plants. I saw an amazing naturopath. And, you know, when you have that first experience of herbs actually helping you to heal from something pretty gnarly, and you're like, whoa, my life has changed. My world is different. Like, I don't know. I, you, you kind of, you di- you're just different, aren't you? Have you had that experience? I have, yes. A very similar experience where someone that I really respected um, working with really helped me on my health journey. And it, it was a turning point for me as well. It was like, okay, I want to do this. <laughs> Yeah, very similar. And then I kind of, you know, when I had kids and I was reading all the herbal books, I really wanted to know, like, why is there 20 herbs listed against this one condition? And I really am a person who likes to understand things and be able to make my own decisions. And so that's when I kind of more formally started my herbal training, um, you know, more from a home herbalist pathway. Uh, And then I just (laughs) kept on going from there. Like, it's just so fascinating. But I guess one of the parts of recovery that I realize and that really informs my own relationship with the plants and my approach to herbalism is that, so I basically didn't walk for three months and was in and out of hospital and I lost so much weight and all of my muscle tone and I really had to rebuild that. And as I rebuilt that, I was in so much pain because I wasn't using the right muscles and I was fatiguing the muscles that I was using and it was really hard to relearn to walk again. And like I had, um, my physio put me on a whiplash treatment because I was having such bad migraines and headaches, even though I hadn't had whiplash, but it was that same thing where the deep muscles had switched off and the superficial muscles were taking over. And I just used to wish that my physio would just do date. Like she was just with me all the time because it was so hard to rebuild you know, the whole musculoskeletal system, really. Um, But out of that, I realized that actually I'm the only one who's in my body every day. And while she can guide me and give me tips, like I'm the one who's got to tune in every day and say, okay, well, what muscles am I using? And am I holding tension in my muscles? And do I need to do my exercises? Um, And when do I need to do them? Because she gave me exercises to do when I kind of like hit certain thresholds of headaches or when certain things were triggered. And so I had this whole toolkit. I was very lucky. I worked with an amazing, I work with lots of people, but one in particular was really amazing. And she helped me to understand, um, you know, like a menu, like if you have this and you can use this exercise and if you have this, you can do that. And it really was that uh, learning that I am the one who has to be responsible for my own health and I have to pay attention to my body every day and that I have to choose from this toolkit I've got how I'm going to care for myself. And so that's a really big part of my approach to health. And then that's really informed the way I work with plants and my approach to herbalism and why I'm so passionate about home herbalism. Yeah, I love that 
that sense of learning how to tune into your body and how important that is in caring for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of just like exploded at that time. So I was also in Brisbane um, and they had the Ideas Festival and they had a speaker talk about the importance of soil health, which like I'd never thought about and how if the nutrients aren't in the soil, then they're not in the plants and they're not in us. And just like this whole world opened up again, like herbalism did for me a little bit later, but I realized, oh my God, I, like I started gardening, I did perma blitzes, I did my permaculture certificate. Um, I really got into food sovereignty and was a volunteer kind of food activist for a while and really understood. And again, it's just like with the muscles and just like when you use herbs, it's not about going to a retreat for two days and like completely resetting your body, but it's about, okay, I've got to eat today. What am I going to eat? How am I going to, you know, what mood am I going to be in when I'm eat so that I'm in that rest and digest stage? What am I going to put on my plate? Where am I going to source my food from? How am I going to prepare it? And again, that all comes back to the small things that we do every day. Um, I don't know. So I had a few things like that that really solidified that kind of approach to health. Mm, It sounds like it was a bit of a pivotal time alongside the recovering from being unwell and then being exposed to all of those different ideas just really Mm. got things percolating in your brain. Yeah, it's funny how you can have that, isn't it? When you like from totally different areas, you can have things and they, they give you the pieces of the puzzle that you need. And so what sorts of plants did you first work with during that recovery phase? To be honest, I have no idea. Because yeah. <laughs> I was working with naturopaths. Like I definitely, I'm a big fan of home herbal, of home herbalism, but I'm a really big fan of working with skilled naturopaths as well, particularly when there's like epic stuff happening. Yes. <laughs> so, and I didn't know enough. I didn't know, like when I saw her and she was like, so have you been taking probiotics? I was like, no, what's that? And she was like, literally her mind was blown. She was like, you literally have had these major gut diseases and been on like in Indonesia, they just chucked me on antibiotics because they were like, we don't have the diagnostic skills to deal with it. Let's try on this one. Let's try on this one. Let's try on this one. So I had Mm. so many. And then in other countries I've been to as well, I've just had so many antibiotics. So that was the start of that. And then she just gave me lots of herbs and probably something. I remember going to a naturopath once. I don't know if you ever get patients like this. And I said to her, listen, I'm pretty well, but I just don't feel vital. Like I don't feel super amazing and I want to. And I was looking for something and she didn't know what it was. Like she couldn't answer me. Like she was very perplexed by that. And that might've just been her approach. But as a, like a year later, maybe I found tonic herbalism and I was like, ah, oh, that's what I was looking for. Like not herbs that help you when you're ill, but just herbs to help you to be well. So Absolutely. They're some of my favourite clients who come in who aren't unwell but want to stay well and want to feel their best. And as you said, the beautiful adaptogenic tonic herbs are the things that shine there, things like astragalus and withania and yeah. Siberian ginseng, all beautiful for building energy when you're not feeling 100%. Yeah. And I think also just like, you know, we might get to this later, but when you weave herbs into your everyday, so it's like knowing the adaptogens, but it's also the nervines to help you manage stress and it's then the nutrients. So you can go for that. Or, you know, if you feel like after I was sick in the winter, I felt a bit sluggish in my, um, in my lymph system. And so just knowing to have the lymphagogue. So it's, I kind of see all that as part of tonic herbalism. It's like, yes, just keeping you 
chucking along, chugging yeah. along. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something that you can take daily to just feel your best all the time without waiting for something to hit. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm very proactive. Are you proactive like that? Is that your yes. approach? Yes, absolutely. With myself and my kids and my clients, definitely. Yeah, I always, if we're talking about immunity with clients, I'm always recommending, you know, this is one that you can take at the first sign of illness. But if you want to stay well through winter, here's some things that you can do through winter so that you may not need that other bottle as often or maybe not at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like um, that illness and that, that time of being exposed to all of those different ideas was a real turning point and really shifted your approach to health. And, and that has continued to weave its way into the way that you work with plants today. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more, Kat, about what your idea of self-care it sounds like we, we've spoken a little bit about how the day-to-day is really important for you and I really love that idea because often self-care is thought of as something that we do really rarely or it's something that's quite expensive that you know we we can only afford to do every here and there or you know we we're not deserving of it but I love your approach in that it's these cumulative things that we invest in every day that amount to this, you know, staying well. Yeah, yeah, I think you've captured that really well, um, that health is built in the small things and self-care is those small things and the way we kind of action them in our life. Um, I actually think self-care is lots of things. I really struggle to define it or simplify it because I think it's it's being responsible for ourselves like that self-responsibility I think it is the way that we um, have self-agency and self-capacity so it is really that empowerment I think it is um, like self-respect it's a way of showing respect and love towards ourselves but I think underneath all of that and uh, we kind of touched on it earlier it is just this relation this daily relationship with ourselves. And it's a way of listening and attuning to how our bodies are every day because they're different every single day. And the way we care for ourselves kind of needs to be different as well. And so it's not about, I think it's very dynamic and basically it's a relationship. Yeah, I agree. And as you said, if you're not tuning in every day, then it doesn't tend to be as dynamic, right? You kind of you know, you're not changing your, what you're doing to look after yourself to reflect how you're feeling on that particular day, in that particular season, in that part of your menstrual cycle, all of those different variables that affect us. All those. Yeah. 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 yeah and I think it's, um, that's why I, I do think it's that relationship and being responsive to self. And I think it changes with all those and it changes across the seasons. And I think that we can, kind of be led to, you know, there's a lot of people who tell you like the list of things you should do every day. And I'm sure I do this as well. So it's no judgment because that's kind of the way that the social media and things need, you know, that's how you have to communicate in that simplified format. But it's like, I find it very unhelpful in some ways when you just get given this list and you're like, well, I don't know when to do them or how to do them. And that's a really big list that I can't fit all that in. And there's no context. And I'm really yes. a big fan of putting that context about, how and when and it's like they are all this menu of options and knowing why you would choose certain ones 
on certain days or maybe that that one you'll never choose because it doesn't resonate with your personality or what you just like to do um but other ones will make you feel good and that you'll draw and that you can have you know the consistent ones you do but then you can have the ones you pull out when you need to in times of stress or in times of exhaustion or into the different seasons i'm a really big proponent of um adapting your self-care or home health care to the seasons because i because we're different yeah absolutely and um I'm wondering, Kat, you were talking about tuning in to yourself and and that being a daily practice. What sorts of things are you listening for on a daily basis to help you? And, and it may not be um, it may not be that you're listening to the same thing each day, but what sorts of things are you tuning into to help you tailor how you care for yourself either daily, throughout the different seasons? you know, um, all of those different variables. What, what are you looking for and listening for? Um, that's going to be a, an eclectic hodgepodge of an answer because <laughs> I'm a bit of a mongrel in my training. So I've trained in lots of – I pull in ideas from lots of places and I think there's lots of ways to listen. So I think that, you know, you can listen to yourself through journaling or through meditation or through um, – I don't know, just sitting with yourself, which I guess maybe isn't formal meditation, but just asking yourself, how do I feel today? Um, you can pay attention to yourself through watching what herbs do you reach for or what foods are you craving? You can find out, like, you know, you can listen to yourself and your reactions. So if I snap at my kids, I might be like, oh, I actually need more time to myself today. <laughs> so it's there's lots of ways to directly listen but then also to pay attention to your behavior or your attitudes or your thoughts and find clues in there for how you feel and what you deeply need and that's where I um, sometimes but not always I'm definitely informed by nonviolent communication so I've I organized trainings with an amazing trainer Kate Raffin and I've attended quite a few of them and it's this way of being able to take your thoughts pay attention to thoughts and feelings and then listen in to what your universal needs are so it's this concept that we all have these universal needs and it's just a way I guess of being clear on what your deeper core needs are Mm, that sounds really interesting Kat yeah yeah and I imagine that there's times when you're not as tuned into yourself and you know perhaps that's during um, recovery from illness or uh, when there's a lot happening on your plate or, you know, perhaps there's lots going on in your family. What do you find are the barriers to either listening into yourself regularly and being able to invest in yourself or even to having those daily practices that, that inc- you know, increase your health? I feel like my answer to all your questions is it's lots of things. Yeah, it is though. <laughs> I think that in the modern world, it's time for one of them. Uh, for me personally, it's just discipline, like being consistent with it um, because I want to do lots of different things. And sometimes it's just boring to have to floss every day. <laughs> And a lot of people might not see self-flossing as self-care. But, you know, I think that 
there's like two branches of self-care one type of self why well, they're probably more but just to simplify it's like there's one type of self-care you do because it feels good and there's one type of self-care you do because that's actually how you look after your you know physical emotional spiritual body and you don't always want to do that stuff <laughs> the boring habits <laughs> the boring habits how do you made how do you made it motivate yourself you know when you've got boring habits you have to do I most of the time what I do is hook hook them on to a habit that I already have. So yeah. like mornings are a really routine thing for me and so I find that if I'm if I hook something onto brushing my teeth for example, I'm like brush my teeth, do this, do that, do that and then it's all kind of all connected and connected to that one habit that's already in place. Yep. Yeah, I think mm. that's a really good way to do it. And I mm. always, I often just start with like, start so small you can't fail. Yes. So rather than, so when I, because I really had a battle with flossing, like I, I just don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what, even if I just floss one tooth, you know, I'm doing it. And then yep. the next day I didn't actually do that. I started with like, I would do my top jaw and then I would do my lower jaw. And then I actually had a, like a friend who went through it at the same time. We were trying to build habits. And so we'd text each other for accountability and I'd be like, I flossed tonight. And she'd be like, that's great. So <laughs> <laughs> <a> really funny, <laughs> but it worked because, Absolutely. you know, when I don't, when I don't do it for a little while, I'm like, Oh, I haven't told her I haven't been flossing. I should probably yeah. floss again. Yeah. And I'm missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. There's a couple of things that help us to build habits. So, you know, accountability is definitely one of them. Starting small so you can't, you, you know, it's it's more difficult to fail, hooking it on to something yep. that you're already doing. And then I think one of the other ones is, um, you know, even with flossing, is your teeth start to feel really good. And so it's like something yeah. that you want to do, whereas if you, yeah, I think, once you start to get that feeling of it's the same when I'm walking, if I'm going for a walk regularly, I'm like, oh, why haven't I been doing this? It feels so good. So it's that feeling that you get from once the habit's starting to get established as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And paying attention and like celebrating, I feel good because of That's this right. and like really That's strengthening right. those neural pathways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the other one is just knowing why you're doing it. Like I really became interested in flossing when I really looked into the research of its link with um, systemic health. So, you know, they found some of the gingivitis bacteria in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. And there's a lot of, you know, information coming out about that. So I'm always like, I don't floss for, you know, I, don't, I floss for Alzheimer's prevention or I floss for lowering my systemic inflammatory load. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, the, the mouth, the oral cavity is a part of the alimentary canal. It's a part of our, our gut and, you know, that's everything starts there. So if we're not taking care of that, then, you know, we're saying that the gut is the seat of all health. Here's the mouth. Here's the start. <laughs> exactly. It sounds yeah. like you know a lot about it. I think not, all, not everyone does yet still. Yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you weave that into your practice? I don't a lot. Um, but it's something that I work on with my family, like, you know, looking after oral health with my family is quite important. Yeah. 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 Kids will help you. Kids help to steal that wisdom, don't they? <laughs> they do. They do. So we've talked a little bit about um, some of the things that make their way into your day. What are, what are some of the other rituals and routines that you like to weave in during different seasons cycles 
days, times in your life, Kat, for self-care? Um, I can, I'm just going to add one more thing to the barriers, if that's of okay. Yeah. I had another thought. Yes. It was around um, skills. I think that's a really big barrier in that because our, you know, herbal and home healthcare lineages were broken with the industrial revolution and we outsourced a lot of that. And I, you know, in some ways, because we didn't have to do it anymore because we could just rely on these miracle drugs that seemed to cure everything. I can understand when you look at that historical time point, how it happened. Um, I just think we've lost the skills to be able to know how to listen to ourselves and how to understand some of the imbalances and what they show up as in the body and then know which, you know, from a menu of options, which strategies to use. And I think that's a big part of reclaiming, um, you know, our herbal traditions or our home healthcare traditions is understanding all that. I agree. I think people have lost their power Mm. and with that loss of power has been has come a loss of confidence and so that their first port of call is to reach out and ask for help rather than coming in and going what do I know what do I know about my body what do I know about my family's health what have I got here that I can use to help myself and I think that's really sad I really loved um, hearing you speak with Twiggy on that Um, episode that we were speaking about earlier on the education segment of this podcast where you spoke about how there would have been in times gone past somebody in your street who knew how to make elderberry syrup, someone who was a wizard making fire cider, someone who had barrels of thyme and sage growing in their garden and you know in one street there would have been so much knowledge that was shared and and everybody would have felt confident and comfortable caring for themselves for most of their health. You know, obviously there's always going to be big things where external help is vital, but mm-hmm. I think we are giving a lot of our power away, as you said, in our first port of call, even for the small little things that don't necessarily need big care that we could be doing ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. What do you think... Um How do you approach like reclaiming it? Like, was there something on your journey that you started with that kind of led you down that, or did you get that through your studies? No, um, with, for me, it's been about, um, introducing the little bit at a time plants into my garden. Yeah. So really starting to get to know herbs and calendula was my first um, and I've got a deep connection with calendula. It grows really well here and I've always loved growing a lot of it, harvesting it in winter, drying it and using it for um, oils and balms. Yeah, calendula is like... Yes. She's special. Yes, in so many ways. Yeah. She popped in my into my head when you were talking about lymphatics earlier too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about you, Kat? How how has that come about for you? We spoke about um your connection with the naturopath and and that really sparking your interest in herbal medicine. How did you go from there where, you know, you were obviously in a in a state of acute illness and, and really needing that external support? How did that shift from there to you slowly starting to feel more confident about caring for yourself and, and welcoming plants into your life? I don't really know. Um, in some ways, I think I lost that to sleep deprivation in my baby years. <laughs> so the answer is probably lost to time. 
But I think in some ways it probably is through kids and family life because I became a mum a few years after being really sick. So it was quite close to that. And just, you know, like there's just so much stuff that you've never dealt with before and you have to learn new ways of caring for it. And I guess you have that option. I could learn new ways of caring with the pharmaceuticals, but I already knew I didn't want to do that. So I learned through the herbal. I I was already studying and interested in herbs and I wanted to know more. So I think for me it was really putting a framework to herbal studies. So there's a lot of information online, which can be really helpful, but it can also be overwhelming if you don't have like some basic concepts or structure to slot it into. Um, So I think my herbal studies really helped me have that confidence in that approach um, or that framework. And I think as well, just, oh, my kid's got nappy rash or, oh, there's some diarrhea or vomiting I don't know just the little little things that come up with kids and Mm. I learned how to care for those for myself and I guess once you've seen them work the herbs help you you're like oh it does work (laughs) so you just build confidence over time yeah what were some of the things that you leaned into herbs that you leaned into when your kids were little uh Again, I think that's lost to sleep deprivation. (laughs) (laughs) I had, okay, so this is another story. I don't know if I told it, mentioned it on Twiggy's podcast. So I've had chronic chronic laryngitis three times in my life where I couldn't speak for three months. And two of them, two of those times actually happened when I had young kids. And it was very challenging. (laughs) And I, I actually used a lot of herbal remedies to help me with that um, so one of my like deep enduring connections is with marshmallow root and slippery elm because they really help. So a lot of people think, I didn't know this actually, cause I always use it for throat, but a lot of people think slippery elm for gut digestive issues, but I actually use it for my throat when I couldn't speak as really soothing when it was red raw. And then I used other herbs to support that as well. But yeah. How do That's you use? How did you use um, marshmallow and slippery elm in what sort of form? Uh, I make cold infusions overnight of marshmallow and mm-hmm. then I always combine slippery elm with honey and do ah. like a kind of like an electric really. Yes. But I'm, I, I, I always think I should rebrand as like the lazy herbalist <laughs> because I just kind of like make a jar of honey and slippery elm and then I just – lick it <laughs> yeah so you With just stir the powdered slippery elm into the honey and, and have it that way yeah yeah and I yeah. don't measure I just make the paste until it's not too runny yeah. um and but I always feel a bit awkward about that because slippery elm is one of my favorite herbs but I know it's also an endangered herb so mm. I do find a hard time talking about it without mentioning that yes you know I don't tend to use it very much anymore unless it's literally like I've got PTSD my throat's really sore I'm afraid I won't speak for three months I need my herb um but I would always encourage people to look for maybe sustainably sourced if they can or to use marshmallow root Um, I think it's important to bring those conversations in absolutely and I think the way that you have that awareness has grown in yourself and now that you, you know you've shifted your use of that herb to recognizing how precious it is and only using it yeah. sparingly in an, in a situation where it's absolutely needed. Whereas a lot of people still haven't sort of decided to use alternatives and, you know, aren't thinking, Oh, marshmallow or licorice or whatever could work in this situation. Um, and, you know, not saving the precious herb for that instance when it's, 
absolutely necessary and, and nothing else will really do the job of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a conversation we need to bring in. Like I actually, I've been getting more nervous about it actually. And I think as herbal educators, we need to be really responsible in helping the plants. Like we owe a debt of gratitude to the plants. I talk about this a lot. Like I'm so grateful, but I do think that there's this reciprocal relationship of duty and responsibility where I have to be their voice and advocate for them. And as herbal medicine becomes so much more popular and as so many more pharmaceuticals aren't working as effectively and, you know, the corporations are really mining the herbal world for their use and benefit, I think we're going to have problems with with the supply chain and people not treating the earth very well. And I think that's something we need to be really mindful of, that we are, you know, using herbs that are helping the earth as well, not just taking. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you been seeing that or noticing Absolutely. That? And I think it's a really important conversation to have. Um, my my um, approach in that space has really shifted as I've grown as a herbalist. Um, when I first came out of uni, I was in the, you know, the dosing of five mils three times daily from herbs from um, manufacturers and didn't really have a really close connection with the herbs. But since growing and making my own herbal preparations you know you see how much herb goes into a herbal tincture or any kind of herbal preparation and it alters the way that you use that medicine yeah yeah it comes back to relationship doesn't it yeah especially if it's something that you've grown and harvested and you don't have a huge amount like I only have a suburban garden I don't have a farm so there's only small amounts of herbs that come out of that and so it's really important to me to know that okay I've harvested that skullcap there's not going to be a lot left now for another season and so it's important to use that medicine sparingly and you know as we were talking about before, recognizing the preciousness and, and that it's finite. Yeah. Yeah. I think bringing reverence back to the herbs and realizing that they are living and they don't make these metabolites for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's for their own benefit that we, we happen to just roller coast on, not roller coast, but you know, the word I'm looking for piggyback yes. on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we've spoken about marshmallow and slippery elm being really lovely allies for you. And you spoke about that um, nice cold infusion of slippery elm, which is is essentially just a tea that you don't use hot water for, right? Yeah, the cold infusion of marshmallow. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it is. I just pour cold. I just dump some in a jar. And I'm very like folk herbalist. Like I don't really measure you know, once you get familiar with it, I don't think you need to. And I'll put more or less depending on how much mucilage I want out of it and how dry I feel constitutionally. Um, and then just put some in a jar and put cold water on it, leave it overnight and then drink the next day. Yeah. And then once you strain it out, as you said, because marshmallow is such a mucilaginous herb that that um, tea is very gloopy, right? That's the, the mucilage yeah, coming through. Yeah, it can through. be. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. But it's so interesting because I don't actually tend to use – I'm not sure whether I'm just more um, attentive. Like I don't have the same throat issues that I used to. Like I've done some deep healing in, in that area with some other herbs and gotten on top of that. But I don't tend to use those allies as much anymore. Like I'm just not as dry constitutionally um, or I maybe just have other herbs that I'm using. So it is really interesting how we have our seasons and life stages and, you know, that was certainly – the will always probably be some of my favorite herbs just because they were so p- pivotal to me in developing those relationships, but they're not 
really a part of my practice anymore. Mm. And so as, as obviously your season in life has shifted, um, and as you said, you know, you're feeling stronger in that area that once needed a lot of support and holding, what sorts of um, herbs are you, you tending to weave in at the moment? Well, it's very seasonal and yes. is very responsive to like my health goals or the state of the overall state of my health. So in winter, I was very much calling on, you know, those um, immune, like the immuno regulator herbs. Like I really love astragalus. Um, after I had the flu, I was really using chai. I actually really got into chai, astragalus chai as for the immune support, but also for the warmth and the congestion clearing that and the circulatory stimulants that the the chai spices helped with so um that was a really big tell us a bit tell us a bit more about that astragalus chai and what what sorts of blends and how you prepared it that sounds amazing oh it was so delicious yeah it's and it's the first time actually I've really gotten into doing a daily decoction because before I was always like eh I don't know I just never had any herbs that I really wanted to um but yeah, I just put astragalus, cinnamon, cloves, uh, cardamom, black pepper. Um, what's the other one? Is there another one that's commonly in there? Ginger. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would do ginger, and then some. Occasionally, I would stir a spoonful of turmeric honey in there as well. Oh, and then I just add like my rice milk, but whatever you have. And then I would just slowly decoct that on the stove. And I would do like a full kettle full of water and decoct uh, for an hour. And then I would just, you know, leave that warm and then strain off tea. So I could have a few cups of tea throughout the day. And it was so simple and so delicious. And using whole spices for that and herbs? Like using I was, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, so for those who don't know, a decoction is where you're making uh, a tea, um, but on the stove and, and boiling it for a little while. Yeah, and it's really good to use for um, roots, which I was doing mm. for the astragalus and the cinnamon. Mm. And, and the, the, the harder, I think it brings that more. Yeah, yeah the, the hardest the stems hardest and berries and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yum. So throughout winter, having that delicious um, immune boosting, modulating, um, astragalus chai. That sounds amazing. Oh, and, and yeah, what else, yeah, what else were you leaning into? I mean, it, it still is winter, but as we were speaking about earlier, it feels a bit more like spring where we are now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because it really is like, um, I feel like winter's done and you know, when the podcast air will definitely be in spring. And so my herbal practice is going to change. Like I'm just moving into nutritives and into alternative herbs. I'm really feeling called to clover and I just got um, a friend just harvested some nettles for me. So I'm, and I feel this um, desire to be lighter and to look after my liver. So I'll maybe go harvest some dandelion roots and just weave some of those in, maybe start having some bitters if I have more salads. So it really mm. is my herbal practices changed dramatically throughout the year. And I'm very intuitive. Like I'm, I'm very lucky to have a lot of herbs in my cupboard. And so I'll just find intuitively, I'll just reach for a blend and then take that for as long as I want to. Like it might be a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. And then one day it just changes and you don't just have that anymore. And it's like, why am I having that? I don't know. I just don't feel called to pull those ones out of my cupboard. And I like blending up teas every day so I don't I can't even commit to like making a blend I just get the jars out every day and I mix up how I feel on that day beautiful how are you welcoming nettle and uh, nettle and clover in at the moment uh I'm mostly using um 
super infusions. So filling up a jar and then putting boiling water over it, not filling up a jar completely, but depending if it's fresh or dry, um, you know, a chunk in the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not very precise on measurements. No, no, you don't need to be. <laughs> it still works. And so you're popping your dried or fresh herbs into the bottom of your jar and then adding your hot water. And are you letting that yeah. sit overnight? I am. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also going to be weaving other herbs into it. Um, and, you know, if you probably by the time this airs, I'll, I'm going to have like a whole spring blog series out for how I'm using mm. my herbs. So there'll be some recipes on the website and um, how I'm working with them as food as medicine as well, like salads and pestos or, you know, herbal vinegars to pull out the nutrients and stuff. Beautiful. And you spoke um, j- just when we started speaking about the, the change into spring and the change of season about how you were reaching for alternative herbs. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I um, Like I said, at the end of winter after the flu, I really felt my lymph system was a little bit clogged up. And, you know, in a lot of traditional cultures, healing cultures, you tend to support the liver throughout spring. Um, and so I want to, I don't know, I, I kind of will see how irritable I get this spring as to how sluggish my liver is. <laughs> Have you, do you notice that in yourself? I definitely do. Yes. Yes. I love reaching for dandelion at this time of year. You were speaking about an astragalus chai. I've been pumping my dandelion chai. <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah. What, what else will you reach for in the spring? Uh, I actually like to reach for, as you said, nettle. Like I've got at the moment, I've got, as I'm sitting here with you, I've got a nettle and ginger overnight infusion, which is this beautiful, deep, dark green. And you can just Mm. feel that uh, my body's sucking it all in. Yep. And a calendula as well. And calendula. And what else do you, do you um, like to add other flavors to your overnight infusions? Um, in my, with my, nettle is one that I lean on a lot at um, this time of year and I love nettle and ginger is one that I really like together um, yeah. and if I'm feeling like something a little bit cooler, my other favourite combo is nettle, oats and spearmint. Oh, nice. Yeah, I just feel like nettle and oats together are that beautiful nutritive sort of tonic for the whole body and then spearmint's just sometimes I find nettle a little bit green tasting (laughs) so so spearmint is just that nice gives it a bit of a zing to it yeah yeah I haven't worked with spearmint very much actually Mm, sometimes I find it a little bit cooling like I'm really enjoying the ginger in there at the moment because it feels a little bit more warming yep against the the cooling of the nettle as well but um as the weather warms up a bit I feel like spearmint in a cold tea is just delicious oh I'm gonna give it a try yeah and with the note yes I love oat straw it's beautiful I find that combination of nettle and oats I really like that combination for breastfeeding mums too um, just, yep. you know, they just really need nourishing and it's beautiful and blood building and nice for the nervous system too. I just think it's like a nice big warm bowl of porridge for the whole body. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Have you ever, yeah. I sometimes feel like nettle can be a little bit drying for me because I do tend towards dryness. Have you ever noticed that in the people you work with or yourself? No, not so much. Um, 
personally, I sometimes find that if I make it a little bit too strong, I find that it um, affects my blood pressure a little bit. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, I can I can feel that it. it's bringing my blood pressure down a little bit. Ah, right. I yeah, that yeah, but um, not, not so much um, the cooling for me, yeah, and the drying. Yep. Um, but yeah, nettle is one that I lean on a lot at this time of year, definitely. And my calendulas here are only just starting to open, and so that's um, something that I like to introduce at this time of year too. Yeah, it's so wonderful, the herbs that are growing. That's why it's so nice to have a garden or to learn a few weeds to forage because yes. you really learn what's needed seasonally and how it can support you. So yeah. when we're recording, you know, my calendula patch is going crazy and the clover is just looking so lush at the moment, like it's begging to be used. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still chickweed around, you- which only lasts for a few weeks. That's another one. I've been harvesting my chickweed as well. I just pulled out a huge bunch out of the garden and gave lots to the chooks and and, um, put some in as a little bit of a folk tincture as well. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Um, What else have you got going in your garden, Kat? Well, I've got a few gardens. Um, So at my place, I am still setting up like all my veggie patches um, and then I've, so I do have some veggie patches here, but I also am lucky enough to have my main medicinal patches at my friend's farm. Um, ah. and that's where I've got my bigger calendula patch. Beautiful. Um, and actually quite a few of the herbs I tried this year didn't work out. Okay. Tell us about those. Well, <laughs> it's definitely one of those ones when they give you instructions, you should really follow them. So when it says <laughs> it likes boggy, damp areas, don't put it in a dry, sunny field. <laughs> What was that one? <laughs> that was vervain. I really oh, wanted to grow vervain. Okay. And it died. It died at my house and it died at my friend's farm. So I was really sad about that. Right. So yeah. it tends to like being near waterways and stuff in this sort of swampy area. Yeah. Or even just maybe more moist soil. Okay. Like that's a bit more shady and boggy. That's good to know because I, I have some vervain seeds ready to plant out. So oh, <laughs> I won't be, sp- won't be planting them in my sandy patch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, some people even make like um, little ponds, like little, uh, you know, boggy marsh areas, which I might try at my house. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want to encourage the snakes with ponds too close to my house. Mm, um, and what was the other one that failed? Oh, um, so my meadow sweet didn't die, but it really – didn't grow and I found out that's more of a summer herb in my climate (laughs) Uh, didn't like winter no so it has so far survived um oh there was something else I can't remember what it was but I do have holes in oh the the chamomile has not flourished this year it's growing but it's really small one of them got nibbled by hairs um I'm not sure it's interesting Mm. And what's thriving apart from the calendula and chickweed? Um, calendula, I'm just looking outside the window to see. Obviously, um, I've got mint, but it's not doing so well in the patch that it is. It's because it was too, um, too. Oh, I didn't get enough sun in winter. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to look out and see. Oh, my catnip is going crazy in both patches. So it's really oh. interesting to like have it at my place, which is a little bit more shaded in winter, my friend's farm, which is full sun, and it's thriving in both areas. Interesting. Um, so that's been really interesting. Mm-hmm. What are you using yeah. catnip for? 
Um, I'm using catnip for, uh, uh, I'll dry it for teas for kids, Beautiful. digestive support, gentle nervine. Beautiful. That yeah. And I've got lots of other culinary herbs, you know, and then also lemon balm and plantain, which I actually had to plant because it doesn't grow near me. <laughs> ah, how interesting. Well, we do occasionally see broadleaf. I don't see, I didn't see enough for my taste. So I actually bought some plantain. It was like such a... Such I did herbal. that with dandelion because we've only got false here and I wanted some true dandelion. So uh, much to my partner's amusement, I, I bought some dandelion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, I did that as well. <laughs> yeah, I want it to grow. So Kat, when um, we were speaking before we started recording, we talked about how um, – it's really helpful for people who are looking to start to connect with the plants and, and bring them in for self-care to actually connect with the seasons and nature and and spend some time being with the plants and really tuning into how they make you feel. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Um, yeah, I do think that growing the plants, even if it's just a little pot of thyme or I don't know, sage or something is really important to build that relationship with the natural world. I think that seeing that it's a living thing and just, I literally still like I've been growing and using plant medicine for a long time, but every time I go out to the garden and harvest a fresh garden tea, it literally still blows my mind. It's like, this is a plant and it's going to like physically support my body or my emotions. And it's just, yes. I don't know, just that sense of belonging, I think with the natural world is a really beautiful part of that or being able to forage wild weeds um, to pay attention to how the weeds change throughout the seasons. I, I, I talk to my husband about this a lot about how I think we all need to have an earth craft. So for me, it's more herbalism and other people might be eco dyeing or basket weaving or using woodworking, but some way to make the natural world relevant to our lives. And then we, have that relationship and reliance and we pay attention to it because it's relevant. I think that's really important. Mm, I agree. Just that, that connection in whatever way feels right for you. And, and I think to you, you are really conscious of the seasons and, and, you know, being aware of how your body feels and changes throughout the different seasons and also looking outwards to how nature changes throughout the seasons and, and how different things become available as our needs change throughout the season. I think that's a really great approach to have too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's like familiar, but fresh at the same time. And there's something very grounding about it to mm. be like, you know, oh, the sun is in its winter solstice spot again. Like I've seen yes. that before, but it's so, and like just to see the journey of the sun across the horizon, like it travels, man, it goes a long way and it's just cool to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. So we've spoken about um, some of the herbs that are really singing to you at the moment and, and the way that's shifting, because as we said, even though the calendar year tells us we're still in winter, we can feel in ourselves and in and in the environment around us that there is actually a shift happening already. Um, I'm wondering uh, how do herbs, you spoke about culinary herbs, but do medicinal herbs make their way into your foods as well? Um, yes. I'm trying to think about how to answer that. 
I mean, obviously in winter, one of my absolute favorites is medicinal broth. Um, so it's really immune supportive broth with shiitake and astragalus and sometimes I put nettles or seaweed, like it, whatever I've got and want to put in there. So that definitely then goes that broth. I'll just sip it, but it'll go into all my soups. If I really need it, we'll put it into, um, you know, when you cook rice and you want to put the water component, sometimes it'll be broth. Or if I sub out the water component of a curry, I think mm-hmm. that's a really nice way to get that in. Or sometimes I'll use the super infusions um, in summer, we don't do a lot of smoothies anymore, but I'll put the water component might be a super infusion of the nettle and the oat straw or maybe the clover. Um, so that's a way that I put teas or you can put any kind of tea in that. Mm. Um, we do a lot of herbal teas, obviously. I don't know if that's cooking. You, you were touched on um, as we come into spring looking at herbal vinegars. Yeah, we'll make what, herbal vinegars. How do what sorts of herbs tend to make their way into herbal vinegars for you, and and how do you sort of put them together? Um, this year it's going to be the similar ones to the um, super infusion. So all the nutrient dense ones like the nettle, chickweed, clover. I think that's what I can harvest locally. Um, I might put some dandelion leaf in there, but the vinegar really helps to pull out the nutrients. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be able to just use it as a salad dressing. And do you component. use like an apple cider vinegar base? Yeah. Yeah, nice. And do you tend to use fresh herbs in that? I do. do. I, yeah. yeah, I, um, I'm just trying to think. I will use fresh herbs. Maybe because I'm harvesting differently, I'll probably dry them first and then use them. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends what I've got available when, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. And how long do what you do? What do you tend- do? Do you do, do you do vinegars with fresh herbs or dry? No, I, I haven't done a lot of herbal vinegars. I'm actually quite interested to have a go. Yeah. I have done um, oxymels, so the combination of vinegar and honey, yeah. but not just pure yeah. vinegar on its own. Yeah. Well, it's really good to extract the nutrients. Mm. Um Normally I don't have the fresh herbs, so probably normally I would use the dried, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure this year. Maybe I'll just try doing both or do a mixture it kind of depends what you because like you know when it's a home herbalist it's like just got to fit in with your day it's like what you have on hand and am I out at the farm or am I going to run it through the dehydrator how much time do I have (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) maybe I'll just take the vinegar to the farm here's the jar shove it in no I don't probably won't do that but (laughs) (laughs) how long do you tend to leave a vinegar to infuse oh um the official answer is four to six weeks okay and Maybe that will happen, but maybe it'll be nine months before I strain it out. I okay. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's more um, months than days for for vinegar that you tend to. Yeah, leave. I yeah. I tend to leave things longer. Yeah. Um, I think that like I tend to infuse if I'm doing an infusion, it's a minimum of say like two months really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm actually really good at starting things, but not always good at ending things. So yeah, maybe six months. Yeah. <laughs> And with a vinegar, do you tend to strain the herbs out once that, you know, once you're ready to use it or do you leave them in and, and use it as as it is? No, I'll strain it out so that um, it's, it reduces the risk of spoilage, especially, yeah. if I'm, especially if I'm using fresh, like if I put yes. garlic in there as well yes. um, or ginger. And then I, yeah, I strain it out. Beautiful. I find it easier to use if it's pre-strained. Yeah, and that's um, mostly going into your day as a salad type dressing? Yeah, whenever I'd use vinegar. I'm not someone who really drinks vinegar. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some people have their shot of ACV. I don't tend yeah. to do that. I'm, yeah. I'm never really sure where I sit on that with tooth enamel, like mm. that vinegar content. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, salad dressings. 
Beautiful. That sounds great. So, Kat, there's lots of ways that herbs are making their way into your days in different forms um, and different herbs depending on, you know, what you've discovered as you're tuning in, what your body is saying to you, what the outside world is showing you is available at the moment. When you're listening and tuning in and responding to those cues, what do you find are the biggest benefits for you, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual? I think that to just put it simply, I think the herbs help you to, they help me to feel better and they help me to stay more balanced. Yeah. So I think that disease comes when you just become imbalanced um, and the earlier you can pay attention and notice that imbalance and just gently course correct it, mm-hmm. then the healthy you can stay. I mean, obviously there's constitutional parts of that and, you know, you'll have your susceptibilities or your weak spots that you always need to pay attention to. But in general, that's kind of my my mm. approach. And I th- so I think it's, if you can catch it when it's small and, you know, make a tea or go out in the sunlight or put it in as a food as medicine approach or take some extra time to do some deep breathing that day. Um, It can just help you keep a bit more even keeled. Mm. It's coming back to what we were talking about before, where if you're able to tune in and act accordingly on a daily basis, you're less likely to have that big health, you know, issue arise where you're needing to go a lot harder and for longer with herbs. You know, if if you're able to listen to your body and and pay attention and respond to cues on a daily basis and and you know change the herbs that you're putting in and the way that you're taking them and you know working through doing those small things that we spoke about earlier on a daily basis then you're less likely to need to respond in a bigger way yeah i think that's definitely the general approach mm. um I don't think it stops us from getting sick. I think sometimes people can feel like, oh, I've done all the right things. Like, why am I still ill? I think that we live in a world where there's a lot of factors in our in our yeah. environment that can influence us. And then we've also got our inner worlds. Like, you know, we've got our own drivers for stress or not being able to, there are reasons psychologically or emotionally why you find it harder some days to listen to yourself if you're stressed about things and then you can override your limits. So I think we're all people who yes. are, in this environment, but if we have that as a foundational attitude, I think it can definitely help us mm. to, you know, stay a bit more balanced or tilt back towards that optimal health or mm. being health. And, and I think realizing that there's like health looks different for different people with different constitutions yeah. and different health histories. My That's version right. of health and what looks optimal to me might be totally different to someone else. And I think it's sometimes we can compare ourselves and be like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not healthy because I can't do what they can do. Well, actually, I've got a different constitution, different health history, and that's going to really change my experience of that. And I think sometimes we need to just stay in our own lane as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Comparison isn't anybody's friend. But isn't it nice Mm. knowing that you have those friends that you can fall back on at on a day-to-day basis and also when you know you feel like perhaps something bigger is about to arise um knowing that you know you have got some things available to you that you can reach for rather than immediately needing to look for external help oh yeah i don't know how people do life without herbs (laughs) Mm, yeah i did they're just there for you they're your friends whether you're stressed or upset or having digestive issues or you're really sick like they're just 
they're very, there. very lucky. I didn't We're ask get... you who's what, what are some of your favorite herbs or Calend- like your calendula, oh, yeah, you calendula. definitely one. Um, chamomile is another. Um, I've I've done some work with Sally Kingsford Smith, who teaches the Dorothy Hall. Um, approach with the person pictures and I feel like chamomile is my person picture funnily enough Uh, I cannot grow chamomile I've had uh, a chamomile plant for six years and it has not once flowered and I have a friend uh, who lives in the same town as me who brought me a chamomile flower from her plant yesterday But I really love chamomile. I love it for its digestive action. I love it for its beautiful emotional support. It's lovely for sleep. Um, Tulsi's one that I often lean on. I really love Tulsi. Um, been lucky yeah. enough to have some beautiful local grown Tulsi to work with. Uh, what's another one? Dandelion is another one that I like to use both as a as a herbal medicine, but also in. Um, that nice decoction and chai that we were talking about earlier. Mm, yeah, that yeah. is delicious. Do you make it yourself, your blend, your dandy chai? No, I, I haven't actually att- attempted to make a chai. I really should, but I've I've got one um, that I really love that has a lot of those spices that we were talking about earlier in it. I really like a nice gingery sort yeah. of peppery blend. Yeah. Oh, it sounds delicious. Yeah. Have we covered all of your favourites? Um. I don't, probably not, but to be honest, I don't know. I actually, because I run a little herbal co-op for um, some homeschooling kids, for my kids and our friends, and we did like a welcome circle the other day, and I asked them like, you know, just t- say your name and your favorite herb or a herb, and th- someone asked me what my favorite herb was, and I was like, oh no, I, I can't choose, like I don't, I'm really enjoying ginger at the moment, so this minute it's ginger, but probably in one other minute it'll be something else (laughs) (laughs) so what is it today Kat well I actually one of my long favorites is astragalus Mm -hmm. um and elderberry I've got I love those two Mm -hmm. what is it about Uh, if I thought about it I don't know I think probably you just love the ones that are balancing Mm -hmm. to your constitution and your Achilles Mm -hmm. heel and I've had a lot of I've got to have had a lot of really chronic health issues and so Mm -hmm. probably their immune support um also just I've worked with elderberry syrup for so many years now like we've just got our protocol down pat ma'am in our house (laughs) and she's just she's very effective yes um it's nice to just have that reliability yeah how do you tend to use your elderberry syrup uh, I, it's a very hard answer. I always over explain because I've got like a, you know, day by day kind of protocol that we family work. So we use it a lot in the first 12 hours, 12 to 24 hours. We'll take like a spoon every hour. Mm-hmm. And then you mean we'll at the of, first sign of illness? Yeah. The first sign yep. of illness. Yeah. And then those first day, and then we'll kind of taper it down throughout the illness. Um, Beautiful. And I think I've just made so many mistakes with her over the years as well in using her that that's why I'm like, oh, that's hard one wisdom. <laughs> yes, yes. What is it um, mainly elderberry syrup that you, how you use elderberry? Yeah. 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 I do. I did actually make, um, when I was teaching about electories, I made an elderberry electory. Mm-hmm. But Can you explain what an electuary is? Yeah, an electory is just powdered herbs mixed with honey. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of make that 
to different consistencies, I suppose, whether you want more honey or whether you want to make it harder and then make like a pastille, like a pill out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, on the lazy herbalist size, so make a little blob and then. <laughs> and so you've used powdered elderberry with honey. Well, I did, but this is why I learned that you probably shouldn't do that. Although every herbalist might have a different opinion on this because the seeds um, have got that cyogenic toxic compound in it. And that, you know, when you decoct it and make the elderberry syrup, you're heating it and that kind of neutralizes that. Whereas if you're just having the powdered elderberry, you're not. But I don't know because some people really think that just drying the elderberries neutralizes that compound. Other people say that you can have it safely, the berries anyway. Like it's just whether you're sensitive to that compound and some people are, some people aren't. So it's very variable. But I was just Mm -hmm. conscious that when I made that, I was like, eh. I don't know if I'd want to be just handing that around without yes. Yes. introducing people to that yeah. concept. So I kind of ditched that that method. <laughs> so elderberry syrup is and your it wasn't main it wasn't form. that delicious anyway. Ah, yeah, elderberry yes. syrup is the main form. Yeah, and when you were talking about slippery elm in honey before, that's another form of an electuary. Yeah, it is a delicious yeah, one. But yeah, be aware of the sustainability. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And apart from your astragalus chai, which sounds absolutely delicious, um, is there any other way that astragalus has made its way into your life at different times? Yes, I use it a lot um, in different ways. And that's why we put it in our immunity kit. So we sell DIY immunity remedy kits and just like a herbal starter kit to help people make their own remedies itself. Um, so I put my favorite astragalus remedies in that kit and it's astragalus chai astragalus like peanut butter balls or nut butter balls and we use the powdered astragalus and then in the medicinal broth because oh, it's just beautiful. delicious yeah yeah so all really lovely sort of food as medicine ways to weave astragalus in yeah yeah i think it really lends itself because it's quite like a bland sweet herb mm. um it's because of the polysaccharides they're best um extracted in water mm-hmm. so yeah Beautiful. And I think I, I don't like, I've been really thinking about this lately. I don't think I like taking medicine. Mm. I think I just really like them being part of my life. Inviting it in. Yeah. And yep. weaving it in in a way that feels like it's supportive and enhancing, but I'm not like, you yep. know, oh, I've got to do this because I've got to take something. Yes. I'm not yes. sure. How, have you ever had that feeling? I, I agree. And I think often when I have clients who struggle to included in their days whether that's you know not being totally invested or just having a busy days and and finding it difficult to fit in that's when I you know when I'm encouraging them more to you know not think of it as a medicine and and something that you have to take but you know sit with it with presence and sip and feel and listen and you get so much more out of the medicine that way rather than just ah I forgot to take my herbs you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a different relationship as well, isn't it? When it's medicine and it's something still outside of yourself that you have to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that um, the herbs, you know, people connect with them so much more and and get so much more benefit from it when they're able to sit, pay attention, listen. And, you know, what they're telling me about what they're experiencing as a result of inviting them in is so much more enhanced than if it's just, oh, here we go, you know, have to have this medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting yeah. that you get to work with so many people around it. Mm, yeah. Kat, you've shared some really lovely recipes. I was wondering if there was um, any other special recipes or rituals using plant medicine for self-care that you wanted to share. 
<laughs> there's probably lots so we might have to save it for another podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> otherwise Beautiful. this one's going to go too long <laughs> it will we've got a little tiny bit more time um did you want to share a little bit more about um you, you just touched on the herbal medicine kits do you want to just give us a brief overview of those and and how people can access them yeah so um i started a little business called everyday empowered and it's just all about you know these foundational um, approaches we've been talking about about actually I've got a question for you before I get into that I will um, do you see a difference between like home health care and self-care no I think that's a I think that's that's really blurred and I think if we reframe self-care as essential care yeah then that that line is even more blurred yeah it's really interesting because I keep in my own um work like I'm never really sure what to call it like is it self-care or is it home health care and yeah I think that there is definitely a huge amount of overlap and even they can Mm. they could be considered one and the same yeah yeah I tend to think because home health care glad to hear from you yeah is is caring for ourselves in those small everyday moments that that has threaded throughout this conversation yeah 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 yeah. So tell us a bit okay, more about so, kids. Yes, to answer your question. So when I started studying herbal medicine, um, I made lots of mistakes and I wanted to try and help other people not make all those mistakes and waste as much money and time as I did. <laughs> so uh, we make um, two main kits. We've got the herbal starter kit and then the uh, immunity kit. And we've got the idea is that there's six herbs and each herb has got two or three, mostly three remedies so that you get to work with the herb in a variety of different ways. And we've got everything in the kit that we can put in there. So all of the herbs, the tins, the beeswax in the the starter kit so you can make your own salves. We've got a little information booklet about the herbs and like how to support fevers in, um, in the immunity kit. So we've put as much as we can in there and then everything else will just, you just need to have common household items like lemons or garlic and some old jam jars um and i do that with heidi marika she's a local herbalist here who's just amazing and i'm so grateful to be able to work with her and then we also run a online companion course for those kits because to give people an opportunity to really ask us questions we, we do provide a lot of support anyway but to really feel confident making their remedies and also just to learn the herbs much more deeply so that they feel confident in using the herbs and understanding how to use them and when and all the different ways you can use them so we've got the um, everyday herbalism course coming up in october and that is the companion course to the herbal starter kit and then the herbs in that kit are tulsi lavender chamomile um, thyme and licorice and calendula so really beautiful herbs and remedies that can really form like the backbone of your home herbal journey beautiful that sounds like such an amazing opportunity for people to start to feel confident to have that knowledge and and ability to reach within and access their own knowledge rather than outsourcing at, as often yeah, exactly. And knowing how simple it is to, to make it and get experience and, and to feel supported, I think, you know, yes. to be able to ask questions and know that out of all the information out there, oh, I'll, just, I'll start here. Like, they're, yes. like I always say to people, like, these are great for beginners, but these are recipes that Heidi and I still use to support our families every day. Um, yeah. So they're not, it's not like you move on to advanced remedies later. Like, they're useful to start with and they're useful to end with. 
And I think that can often be such a stumbling block for people knowing where to start. So providing those beautiful baseline recipes that they can then play around with and expand and just feel confident having a bit of a play in it. And it doesn't have to be serious and overwhelming. It can just be, hey, what have I got? Let me have a bit of a play around with this and let's have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people use it with their kids. They get it Mm. for like um, you know, activities to do with their kids or grandkids. And I hear a lot of feedback all the time. Even like kids are like, oh my God, I made the chamomile syrup cat. Like it was so great. And they're so proud of themselves. Aww. So it's a really nice thing to learn alongside your kids. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kat. It's been such a wonderful chat. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad you tuned into this episode of Self-Care with Herbs, a segment of the Elder Tree podcast. The Elder Tree is a non-profit dedicated to empowering people through grassroots herbal education and earth skills, weaving a strong community of herbalists, healers and plant folk in Australia. The Elder Tree is in the beginning stages of creating a grassroots herbal education centre and healing sanctuary on the Atherton Tablelands, far north Queensland. You can head over to theeldertree.org to find out more and follow the journey on Instagram and Facebook. You can also donate to The Elder Tree via our podcast channel on Anchor or via the website. If you liked the episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. I hope you found something in this episode that has inspired you to begin to lean into those plant allies and to experience your practice of self-care blossoming and blooming. I look forward to sharing more ways you can weave plant medicine into your days next month.